Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. Today we're in Missoula, in the offices of the Washington Companies, and I'm joined by an expert in technology and organizational change management. Chris Warden not only serves as the Vice President of Technology for the Washington Companies, where he's worked for 17 years, but he also currently serves as the Chair of the Leadership Montana Board of Governors. Chris manages a large team and says his job boils down to making complex things simple. His colleagues know him as a tech guy, but in reality, he works well beyond technology solutions. In fact, he says he spends 100% of his time simply helping organizations change. Despite that title, Vice President of Technology, Chris is adamant that when it comes to that essential organizational trifecta of people, processes, and tools, technology of course being a tool, tools come last, not first. Moreover, Chris will be the first person to tell you that despite the many wonders of technology, it does not create deep enough connections that really matter and generate team success. He's a graduate of the 2006 Leadership Montana Flagship Program and of the 2020 Master's Class. He's a husband and a father of two teenagers who aren't all that impressed with his technological savvy. Chris Warden, thanks for coming on the (laughs) podcast. I'm glad you brought my kids up. They aren't impressed at all. They probably won't be impressed with this podcast either, but I hope at some point we get to talk about them. So Chris, you are a, an organizational change manager. And for many listeners on this podcast, I'm sure they've managed plenty of change over the last 14 months as of you. I'm curious how you're holding up. Yeah, I would say I'm holding up pretty well. Um, but it's always easy when you're coming out the other side of something there there were there have been moments eric there's been moments yeah um probably the most challenging time of my life when it has just come to uh you know being that support person that advisor that team member that partner for people that are kind of navigating change um but in a way it's also been exhilarating because as a technology person I mean, you call me an organizational change manager, and I wouldn't say that's my primary title, but I would say it is what I do every day. So, you know, my primary title is I'm the vice president of technology. But usually when people are talking about using technology, they're trying to improve something. They're trying to change something. And that's change. And as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, we talked kind of before we did this interview about how do you figure out what's going right in an organization? And that kind of people process and tools, three things that need to be aligned and working really well. More and more as technology has changed, it's not the tools that are, that are broken or it's not where you need to focus or, you know, the opportunity for improvement is with processes and people. And so if you're going to work with processes and people, sometimes you need to step away from the technology and, and, and work with people. <laughs> right. And you said that you can go into a, into sort of a Washington company or whoever you're working with 
and talk about a problem and start sort of categorizing things into those three boxes of people, processes, and tools. And normally the suspicion on the other end is that the issue lies in that tools box, but you're finding it to be in the other two, right? So can you talk about how you sort of break that news and work through that identification and solution building process? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, um, I would say it maybe five, six, seven years ago, um, people would actually see technology as the problem when it was something else. I actually don't think that's the case anymore. I think there's kind of been an awakening, at least there has been in our business, a, a real change that probably it shows the maturity level of just um, our not only our leaders, but our employees on using technology, that while we know it provides a real competitive platform to do things better, um, if we don't know why we're using it and how we're going to use it, how we're going to work together to use it, technology can't deliver the benefits that you were intending. And so when problems show up in the technology area, it's usually because the benefits aren't there. And people go, wow, we made this big investment, but the benefits aren't there. You know, let's talk to Chris or let's talk to other managers involved. And sometimes it's easy to say it's the technology, but usually it's not. And so I use a kind of a six box framework. Um, you know, you mentioned in my introduction that part of my job is to keep things simple. And my frameworks get usually no bigger than four boxes. So this is the most complex one. It's six. Um, there's three boxes that I call above the line, and there's three boxes that I call below the line. And the below the line boxes are the ones that you just mentioned, people, process, and tools. Those are things to implement change that you need to have in the right order. So people are having the right people that have an idea of what you're trying to accomplish. They certainly have to be aligned in what's trying to accomplish. And then that people box also sits our culture. You know, what are our cultural norms? How do we work together? What history do we bring into the project um, that may amplify what we do? It may hold back what we do. So people is really important. Process is, um, you know, every organization is a process-based organization, even if you have none. It could just be an organization where you have a lot of processes. Maybe everybody's doing something different. But every person has a process. I mean, we all get out of bed in the morning and get to work or get to wherever we're going. And we have a routine. And, you know, human beings form routines. So businesses form routines. And it's just whether we form them together. And it's whether we form ones that are, you know, the most efficient. So process is really important. So those are two things that you really need to look at before you look at tools. But there's this other level, the above the line boxes that sometimes are even the most important. And for me, they start with mission, that's the first box, strategy, that's the second box, and objectives, that's the third box. So a business is always constituted to do something. That's what our mission is. And there's always a strategy about how we're going to do that. And then there are specific objectives of how we're going to achieve that strategy or what we're trying to accomplish at the time. 
And it's amazing when you're down working in technology that if a business doesn't have a really good strategy or they don't have a way to take those objectives that come out of your strategy and pull them down across the organization, you can have all sorts of technology projects going on that not only have nothing to do with the strategy and objectives, they might actually compete with it. They could be working against it. Um, there's a lot of good ideas that come out around the use of technology, but like everything, good ideas need to be tested and you need to really elevate the ones that have that top of the line work. And when the top of the line works, you're 10 times more likely to have the bottom of the line work. So when you go into a, um, a situation you're there to troubleshoot a problem or, or fix an issue that might lie in any of those six boxes, are people sort of disappointed when it's not just a technological fix that you can sort out? <laughs> I don't think so. I think most people know that before they call me. <laughs> and um, I don't think I have any amazing insight or ability to see problems. I think I more know how to engage people kind of in their own environment and, you know, listen and talk to a lot of people. It's really the people that I work with that are um, articulating what the problems are. It's not me really pointing them out. It's more putting in process the place for us to find them together. Mm. So Chris, if I'm a leader, say I'm, let's take another leader that's been on this podcast, Courtney McKee at Headframe Spirits in Butte. Mm -hmm. She's got a technological issue with her manufacturing. Tell us if she called you, if she was a Washington company and called you, where would you start? Well, first of all, I would probably tell her we need to start with a conversation in the tasting room. Yes. Um, then, yes. Uh, for I mean, that she, invite, Courtney. Yeah. For those that don't know, she manufactures whiskey, amongst <laughs> other things. So that would definitely be a fun business to go get involved in. Um, I think what I would need to do, I, I really like Courtney. She's an amazing leader. She's a great listener and an incredible person to talk to and engage with. And so I would just want to go engage on her turf and hear from her and her team. You know, I also, I know her pretty well, so I'm sure that she would also have other people there. And um, usually I like to go through an interview process where you talk about what you're trying to accomplish and where you're falling short. And then that's where you can start to use that analytical tool that I talked about to find, hey, where is the problem or problems that you need to solve? Because most complex issues have multiple problems behind them, not one. And mm -hmm. so you need to identify the biggest ones, work on those first, and triage the others and address them in the order of importance that they play in delivering the solution. But definitely getting out inside of their operation and kind of seeing their world from their shoes is absolutely critical. And something you told me prior to the podcast that I found really interesting is that a huge component of your work is to look into the future and predict the business's needs and get out in front of that. So I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, predict is a heavy word. <laughs> um, I've seen lots of fads come and go in technology, but I've also seen a lot of sustainable trends come through the door that you do need to pay attention to what those things are, and you have to learn how to identify them. And quite frankly, it's really hard sometimes to identify what is a fad and what is a trend. Um, but if you do it long enough, you start to get a better sense for that. Um, and then you can, you know, 
probably the biggest way that we help people, Eric, is that we answer questions two years before they ask them. And so I'll, I'll give just kind of COVID an example. I'm going to try to use COVID as few times in this interview as possible because <laughs> we're all kind of over it, right? But it's such a good right. example talking about organizational change and technology and we were really blessed to not just have some visionary people on my team. I have, a, I have a whole staff of people on my team that they think about the future all the time. And they think about how is technology going to change our businesses. And they're like me. Their tenure here is, is pretty long. Um, we also have new people that bring in new blood and, and new vision. Um, but then combined with our really experienced team, they're almost unbeatable in seeing things that we need to do in advance. And so prior to COVID, we made a ton of investments in uh, the technologies that allowed us to work remotely. And so we had spent about a year and a half um, identifying Microsoft Teams as a collaboration platform that our companies would need. Um, we had to buy it, which uh, Teams is free, quote unquote but it comes bundled with a bunch of really expensive Microsoft stuff that in the history that I've been here, it's the biggest investment we've ever made in technology on kind of one line item. It's one of the biggest components of our budget right now. It's been a huge part of the increase in our investment over the last few years. But because of that, we, you know, we're basically able to turn on that technology in less than a month for users across all of our businesses. And, so many people at the time were saying, how did you guys do that so fast? And, you know, the honest answer is, is we didn't. We had been investing in it for years. I, I want to talk about the, the evolution of sort of Microsoft Teams and Zoom, and because you've talked about those tools as as being put under the stress test of COVID, right? COVID was a, a widespread experiment in the effectiveness of those tools. And you think the experiment showed that they're not that great or that, <laughs> that they have deficiencies, right? So can you talk about that? Yeah, I think it proved out both that yeah. they're incredible and completely insufficient at the same time. You know, earlier when I was talking about social media, um, I don't really go there to form relationships. And I don't think you get on Zoom to form relationships either. I've told a lot of people I've, I've been a big fan of using technology to um, allow for kind of more effective ways to collaborate. And there's no question that I think people can be productive with remote work um, when it's used right uh, and with other things. But... I actually come out of COVID less an advocate of remote work than I went in. And it was, it's just kind of knowing where did we fray? And there's a lot of courageous conversations to have. And I think one of them right now is not just how employers can look at this new model to provide, you know, not only benefits, but more produ productive working environments for employees because their productivity is our productivity, right? So we, we want that. But employees also, they got to know. If they went through what I went through, they knew not all of it was productive. Not everything worked as good as practices that we had, you know, either working face-by-face, side-by-side, or in the office, however you want to say it. 
And I, I kind of feel like now maybe more of the courageous conversation people need to have is to not just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say there's this revolution afoot and we all need to work from home. Um, I, I think the courageous conversation is for us to double down on what used to work. Mm-hmm. We need to go back to it. We need to re-implement it in our lives. We, we might need to amplify it. It doesn't mean it's unchanged by COVID or unchanged by these technologies. Um, but I think that's the other thing when you're a technology person, you know, we were talking about helping identify trends and fads. Oftentimes fads are those changes that are just too far too fast, but trends are the ones where you can connect the dots over time. Hmm. And so, you know, right now our, our businesses can't go to a remote work model. We run railroads and ships and (laughs) manufacturing places and mines. And, you know, we work side by side. And then, you know, I talked to you a little bit about my job here is really just as a service provider. Um, If I have any expertise, it's, it's listening and working with other people who are the experts. And I can't do that over Zoom. I can't learn how to run a railroad over Zoom as well as I can you know, walking into a dispatch department and having a dispatcher teach me how they move trains around. Um, there's a lot of magic lost and connection that's lost with Zoom, Teams, social media, remote work that we need to just remember that can really undercut our effectiveness as a business and also just our relationships as human beings. So when you say we need to double down on what we used to do, you're saying what we used to do was we defaulted to face-to-face connection. Is, am I hearing that right? Yeah, I think some of that is, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. And maybe by double down, that sounds so extreme. Um, maybe it's just not forget. <laughs> that's really what I mean. Let's just not forget that you and I talking here, having this conversation can be so much deeper and I think beneficial not only to us, but maybe everybody listening. I'm imagine if we're doing it over Zoom, you and I and the whole audience would probably be asleep by now. Some of them might be anyways. But (laughs) There's a common theme here, right? Which is just connection generally. And I'm curious if we circle back to that six box framework and we talk about mission strategy objectives above the line. Mm -hmm. How does togetherness and connection within a team, how do we quantify that? How do we think of that as an objective? Hmm. One of the things that in a business, I'm just going to talk about connection, like measuring connection in a business. I think it really all boils down to, um, It, you know, it all shows up in performance. And so if our teams are really working well and collaborating well and feeling connected and in line with the business, our safety um, should improve. Our company performance should improve. Um, all of those should improve along with employee morale. Hmm. But if you got just some things improving without employee morale, you're probably not doing it the best way. And if you just have employee morale improving, but everything else going in the other direction, you're for sure not doing it the right way. And I'm all for high employee morale, but we also have to remember, you know, we work as 
work is not named play for a reason. <laughs> it's work. Sure. So I, I guess at a high level, um, you could quantify teamwork and connection, not just in the mood and spirit and collaboration of the team, but in the results they could produce as a team with it. Okay, Chris, so grumpy manager mm-hmm. above you says, yeah, well, we increased our productivity across the board and employee morale went up. Um, and how, why should I believe you that that's traceable or attributable to stronger cohesiveness and connectivity across our team? Yeah, I think I'm really fortunate to not have that grumpy layer <laughs> above me here. Um, I actually have an incredibly supportive layers above and below me for topics like this. Um, I would tell you, I think that is something that would rarely ever come up because if you're producing results, people aren't really going to get under the hood and ask, why are you producing the result this way? I think they're going to be pretty happy with the result. Interesting. And so... Um, that's just my first response. And then second, I think there's a pretty strong maturity, not just in the leaders we have at the Washington companies, but in every business that employee morale and employee engagement does matter. And um, it matters right along with results. I mean, I used to do this interview question that I don't do anymore because I don't think it's fair. Um, And I don't really always know the answer to it. Um, But I used to ask this question, what matters more, results or relationships? What matters more, like people or results? Can I try answering? Yeah, what's your answer? Trick question, both. One begets the other, right? Or rather, people are a prerequisite for results. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's part of it. And then over the years, as I just heard, I kind of asked the question sometimes because I wasn't so sure myself. And then you can hear like, this yeah. broad range of responses <laughs> <laughs> and people can educate you, yeah. you know, Jerry, pick the one you through like. what they share. And in one interview, um, somebody said one of the smartest things once is they said, it really matters on the situation. And I said, oh, say more. And they said, well, if you're in a spot where the team really isn't performing or the company's really not performing and it's a do or die situation, you might not have the comfort to put people first. You might need, as a leader of a team, you might need to go chalk some points on the scoreboard and then, you know, i.e. deliver results so that you can get the flexibility to take care of the people the way that you want. Mm -hmm. It's not an open license to abuse people, right? Not saying that. And I don't think they were saying that. They were just saying, um, and then they gave an example of, I've actually been in one of those situations where we were doing a turnaround and it was really tough and it was one of the harder times I had to lead because I had to keep reminding people that um, what I would normally say yes to for you or in this situation is different than what I'm doing now because of the urgency for us to deliver the results. Um, but I will use the goodwill you know, and the, and the flexibility of that I'll get from our team delivering the results um, to make those improvements going forward. And it was really kind of a fascinating story that they told about how they were able to not only turn a situation to better results, but then be able to use it to better the team. I thought it was a fantastic answer. And 
to be honest with you, I've been in those same situations myself where I have to go ask the team for stuff I wouldn't normally ask them for because of the situation we're in. At the end of the day though, if you're not creating, I think, a environment where people are respected and engaged and listened to um, and supported, uh, you're not gonna ever put any points on the board. So Chris, you are chair of the Board of Governors of Leadership Montana, is that right? I am, yes. How long have you been in that role? Well, it's a one-year role, and so every year uh, a member of the board is kind of elevated into leadership, and you you know serve in other positions before that, um, but uh, that's what I've been doing the last year. Mm. So just in this podcast conversation, you've been using language like uh, put people first. You said listen first. You've um, deflected credit away from yourself and always, always to the team, to the collective. Um, and I'm curious if you can talk about your approach to communication that way, how you think about the way you speak and communicate with people as a leader. Yeah. Well, I would say that I, you have to be really thoughtful about how you communicate as a leader. Um, words matter to people and they're listened to differently. I always think, you know, when there's like five people in a conversation, five conversations occurred. <laughs> there might've been six or seven with a few of the people. Uh, but at least, <laughs> at least five conversations occurred. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we're all biological human beings. We interpret the world through our senses and um, we interpret it against our background of experiences, um, how we think, how we were raised, other experiences that we have. So you know how you're in a situation with somebody and you can say something and, you know, it's fine for a bunch of people, but it can be like a triggering moment for someone else just based on a prior experience that they had or something in their life that just triggers it to be completely different communication. And so, you know, as a leader, I, I don't think this is new to anybody in a leadership position, but I think you want to do two things to address that. One is that you want to be really careful not to use triggering language. Um, so you want to be thoughtful in how you communicate stuff. So I rarely go in front of the team or our users or people I'm working with where I haven't thought something out. Right. And I, I, I am a person who processes things out loud. And so that has been something I've had to work on in my career as I think I've matured my leadership is to think, uh, before you say, particularly if you're talking on consequential matters. Um, now I'm going to say something that almost sounds like the opposite of that. Uh, which, you know, I always joke that if I'm not sending conflicting messages every day, I'm not doing my job as a leader. <laughs> so um, on, the on the flip side of this conversation is I try to also just be myself everywhere I go. And um, I, I try not there to be like, you know, the Chris who you would normally run into and then the Chris who's talking at the team meeting who... 
obviously is this different person who, you know, maybe we're not getting it straight from him. Maybe he's not sharing everything. Maybe I'm just getting the corporate line, you know, whatever it is. And I just try to be open with people. And, you know, sometimes that means in the moment when someone asks me something and I can't think it through. Um, but if it's a conversation that's meaningful and people are expecting a response, I can just be honest and say, well, wow, you just asked a really tough question and I haven't had a chance to think it through. And so I'd like to take it offline and I'll come back to you. Or you can say, you know, um, if people can give me some gracious space or permission to speak freely here, I will speculate with you. But it's only speculation. This isn't officially, um, you know, what I'm, where this matter might land or end. And I think what's important there is that oftentimes how you resolve stuff and how you really listen to people is through dialogue. It, it's not just listening to the words that they're saying, but trying to understand why they're saying what they're doing, why they're saying what they're saying. And to be able to ask follow-up questions, to be able to go think about what they said and kind of immerse yourself in it to do maybe research, talk to other people, maybe go slip yourselves into their shoes and work side by side with them so you can see exactly what they were talking to you about. Like all of those things are listening. That's all listening. And all those other things are as important as just listening to the words coming out of somebody's mouth. And so I had a series of meetings last week on some topics that were that people cared a lot about. And I made sure that I wasn't sloppy and how I spoke about it, that I was prepared. Um, but also, I think I was able to just kind of show my real opinion. I was honest with people about where I was at. And um, I also think sometimes as a leader, like, you aren't the expert in everything. And, and you don't need to be. And sometimes it's just okay to show that. Yeah. And so... Um, it does mean you might still be responsible ultimately for a result. And you're oftentimes is, is the leader, the manager to be responsible for getting to a decision and getting to an endpoint. And, you know, hopefully, um, people either really support, people support it, right? They might, and, and supporting might mean they really like it, but also supporting could just be, I was heard and we're not doing what I was suggesting, but I know why. Because, you know, Chris or someone else explained that to me. And um, I think people just don't like when stuff happens behind a curtain that they don't have transparency to, they don't understand. And, you know, as, as human beings, we, uh, you know, everything is kind of invented in language against our background experiences. Um, but if nobody's talking to us, we're talking to ourselves. So we're inventing stories, even if no one's talking to us. And sometimes the most dangerous stories we invent are the ones we invent talking to ourselves <laughs> and no one else. Because <laughs> we can make a situation all about us and way more threatening or impacting than it ever is. And so um, I would just say the ability to just kind of be yourself, maybe have some vulnerability to just be yourself and be honest and be transparent 
and build trust with people. So in those moments that you don't get it right, maybe you say the wrong word or you present something, there's flexibility that people have going, hey, that's not normally what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have more trust in him in the business and in the team. And there's, there's like that gracious space that we talk about in Leadership Montana that, you know, I think gracious space are not only those four elements that we talk about in building gracious space, but it's also knowing that none of us can actually do all of those four things perfectly all of the time. And, um, you know, it's not like we're all passing the gracious space quiz every day and we just have some room for each other to fail. And that's also where we can help each other out. So, Hmm. you know, the stories we make up in our head usually is when we don't understand someone's intention. That's just it. Right. And so we make up stories about what their intention might be. And usually it's (laughs) not a pretty picture. (laughs) So words matter. What matters more though is intention. And we, we are in a world right now where, um, words need to matter and intention needs to matter. We need to weigh things. Um, and I think in different situations you weigh each one slightly differently, but we are in a world right now where sometimes people are judged on their words and their intentions are true or they had kind of good intentions going into it, but they're judged very harshly. And I feel like that can set a team back. Um, we need to, we need to have closer relationships with each other and we need to have room with each other. We're humans. We make mistakes and we say dumb things. So I want to move on to the lighting round because we're running out of time here, but I sure. I first want to I want to ask you as board chair if you can talk about what you see as the purpose or the value proposition of Leadership Montana. Yeah, so I think Leadership Montana um, really helps leaders in that it kind of does two things simultaneously. It provides really great leadership education on the skills that you need to hone to be a leader but then it puts you in a group of other leaders that, you know, at first you think they're all way more polished and successful than you are, but as you get to know each other, you find out we're all working on things. And um, Leadership Montana has just a big enough group in almost everything that they do to have people that are really fantastic in every area, but none of us are fantastic in every area. And so you get to engage in this tremendous leadership curriculum um, with people who are both learning side by side with you and also at the same time can be incredible teachers and role models themselves. And it's all presented in a way that I think is really accessible to a lot of people. And increasingly, we're getting better and better at doing that so that we have lots of different ways to teach some of the same material so that there's kind of this buffet where everybody can find something they like or on a certain topic can have it be served up in a way that's palatable for them. Cause, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but we just all learn differently. Mm -hmm. And so, and we think differently. 
And so we need to engage people. Just like if you lead a team, you need to, you're not always engaging at the team level. You have to also engage at the, at the one-on-one level to really understand how people think and to get a pulse on what's going on. Um, so I think Leadership Montana does an amazing job um, with that. And if anybody is listening to this podcast, podcast that hasn't taken the Leadership Montana flagship class, I can just tell you it, it'll be a life-changing experience. And if you're a leader, it will end up giving you skills that you'll use not just in business, but just in life for the rest of your life. I, I have to ask you about, about that quickly, which is I've long asserted that leadership training is just how to be a better person training. Mm-hmm. Can, you back, can you back that assertion for me? Yeah. You know, earlier when we were talking about the question about what matters more, results or people or results, uh-huh. earlier in my career, I would have answered, I would have answered results. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm becoming, a, I think, a better leader and manager, husband and dad every day. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I took the flagship class 17 years ago, and I would say that really opened up a journey for me that has gotten deeper every year since mm-hmm. and put, I think, both me and my career on a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to say about Leadership Montana or, or the Washington companies? Um, yeah, I actually want to say one thing about both. Um, the Washington companies have been huge supporters of Leadership Montana and so have a lot of other organizations across Montana. And I think a lot of those businesses got into it like they normally do, which is, hey, we want to support this good idea. You know, but at some point, this good idea maybe needs to stand on its own two legs. And as leadership Montana has grown, we do stand on our own two legs. But we've also been blessed to have businesses like the Washington Companies and First Interstate Bank and, and many, many others continue to see the value of what we do and continue to invest so um, in the organization so that we can expand what we do and have a bigger impact, um, not only on their businesses, but on Montana. And I'm, I'm proud to work for the company I work for because of the commitment that they make to stuff like this. Mm. So we'll go on to the um, lightning round, which I, I know you're excited about. I you can't said, wait. <laughs> yeah. Only because every lightning round of all the other podcasts, I still haven't answered half the questions you ask those people in the lightning round. So <laughs> we'll see how lightning I can be. <laughs> You'll be fine. 15 second answers, roughly. A habit that you've intentionally developed that has improved your life. Uh, I would say taking time to learn. So setting a time, setting aside time in my day, every day to go read something about something new that I'm curious about. I do that for more than 15 minutes. I do, I do a lot of that every day. Do you carve out, is there a specific transition in your day that you, you capitalize on to do that? Um, I think there's kind of these nests of time that I have throughout my day. And some days I have and and some days I don't. Um, but early morning, Mm -hmm. um, I also, I'm getting older and I wake up in the middle of the night 
And um, I remember talking to my doctor. I go, is something wrong with me? And he goes, no, you're just getting older. <laughs> and I said, what do you do? And he said, you should go read something. And so sometimes I'll wake up at, you know, three in the morning and I'll go read for an hour. Mm. And there's some clarity about three in the morning reading that is really pretty incredible is um, there's no distractions. There's no email to get distracted by, and unless I didn't clear it before I went to bed. Um, and there's no one in my house that needs something, <laughs> and it's quiet. And so I would say I have a bunch of those places. I just make sure every day I take advantage of one of them. How about the most important thing that you can teach your kids? Oh, yeah, this is a tough one. You've asked other people this one. I, um, I think it's kind of two things. And again, it sounds like they compete with each other. But um, one is I'm, I have two boys that are both kind of early teens. And I'm really proud that both of them are kind of coming into their own self. And so we're not leaving too heavy of a stamp on them in terms of uh, the opinions they choose to have. And so I like that. I like it that they're thinking individual thoughts um, and coming to their own conclusions about the world because I truly believe as a parent, you just got like three jobs. Um, keep them safe, uh, keep them healthy, and turn them into functioning adults. And <laughs> by far, the last one's the hardest and probably the one we all fail at. And so I think that's really important. That, but then the flip side, and I've grown into this more the older I've gotten and the older my kids have gotten, is I need to do more with them than just give them the ability to think on their own. Um, I feel like as an, a parent, I do need to teach them what I know to the extent that I can and the extent that it makes sense. And whether that's you know the morals and values um, as I see them, I really try to stay away from politics with my kids, but I very much talk to them about what I think is right and wrong hmm. and how I think um, adults should react in different situations. And, you know, we, we maybe start doing that when kids are really young, you know, by going, okay, now, Finley and Ash, make sure you say thank you to the lady at church who gives you the cookie. And they don't, you know, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't. And then every once in a while they do, and you think you're the best parent in the world, and then 10 times in a row they don't again, and you realize you're a failure. But then they start to get into their teens, and now they're doing this. And I'm so proud of them, because I was watching my son Ash the other day, just how he was interacting with these other adults. And it was amazing to see like the young, respectful gentleman that I've always wanted my kids to be, he was in full force. And I see that with my older son, Finley, all the time, and I love that. So Chris, if you could spend one full day doing anything, what would it be? Uh, could I go back in time? Yeah, why yeah. not? Let's go there. I would wanna go spend time, um, I think either more time with my dad or my grandparents and ask them this really long list of questions that I have. Oh, I like that. Something you care about deeply that we haven't talked about on this podcast. Uh, I would say I haven't mentioned my wife at all. She's probably the thing in the world I care about the most. And um, she's 
done some really, you could do a podcast with her. You should do a podcast with her at some point because I have a huge respect for people that start their own businesses and start them from scratch. And she has done that in the last couple years and built like an amazingly successful business and made it look like easy and gracious the whole way along. And she's done it just being the amazing, beautiful self that she is. And it's, it's breathtaking. It's amazing. I'm going to keep that answer in the final cut so that you can get some kudos at <laughs> I can home. get some kudos. Yeah. <laughs> After some conversations we had last night, I think I need all the kudos I can get. <laughs> can we send it to her today? <laughs> Let me call her one second. <laughs> okay, you're going on a big road trip. What is your favorite snack of choice that you might not actually want to admit? Oh my gosh, I love nibs, but that's not super nibs. They're like the Twizzler licorice. Oh, nice. And I love those things. It really is the preferred of the Twizzler vehicles, I would say. The pull and peel is not my jam. Yeah, you can end up eating like 50 sticks of licorice in just three minutes (laughs) with those things. (laughs) Which, the thing is, is I love them, and then I always regret eating them. But then like, 30 miles later, I'll buy another bag. <laughs> Welcome to my life. That is me in a nutshell. Um, what is the most important characteristic you're looking for in a prospective leader at your business? Um, oh, geez, that's a really great question. I would say one is confidence. Hmm. And confidence in themselves. Wow. And, a, and confidence to lead. Um, leading's hard and sometimes to lead, you need to step out kind of not knowing what the results are going to be. And, um, I need, I need, I need more confidence some days to be honest with you. It might not appear it. (laughs) Um, but I would say that is one of the number one things that I look for. And, and it might, confidence might not be the best word for it, but it's like that, Commitment to act, um, of course, in a caring way, in a thoughtful way, yeah. in a strategic way. But it's the commitment to do something when you know 95% of everyone else is not going to. And they're for sure not going to if the leader's not. So willing to set that tone and being confident enough to do it. That's really interesting. I love that. If you could snap your fingers and change one thing in Montana right now, what would it be? I don't think I'd change a thing. Really? No. I will regret that answer, and I'll think of a million things tonight. But just on the face of it, Eric, I really feel like we're blessed. I'm also an optimist. I oftentimes carry around the good things with me, not the list of regrets that I have. So... Um, it's usually on reflection that I will come up with maybe a better answer, but on the face of it, I love this state. I love the people that are here. I love everything that we're all about. Okay. How about a book recommendation, Chris? What are you reading at 3 a.m. when you can't sleep? Um, you know, I was joking, I think with you as we were leading up to this, that I haven't been reading a lot of books lately. Um, I do have, um, oh, I have a general book recommendation, if most people know me and work with me, I love this thing called the project success method. 
because it's like a really pragmatic way to manage change and projects inside of a business. And I've been a huge advocate of it here. Um, and I love it so much. It kind of grows on its own. It's so pragmatic. I haven't really needed to be a cheerleader because um, people start using it and they really like it. And um, I've ended up becoming, you know, pretty well acquainted with the author over the years just because he's impressed with the extent of the work that we're doing with kind of his method inside of our businesses. His name is Clint Paget. And Clint just wrote a new book that he sent me a copy of the other day and said, I'd appreciate it if you read it. And it's called When Teams Triumph. And it's really taking his whole method around, you know, how you deliver good projects and good change, uh, but also focusing on how do you build the teams to make that more sustainable and um, continuously improving over time. How about a movie recommendation or TV or just whatever you veg out to? Yeah, well, my favorite movie of all time is The Shining. Oh, I just love God. that movie. I, you know, I thought you were a really good guy until just now because I think people who are like horror movies are weirdos. I got to tell you that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it eventually if we talked long enough. <laughs> okay, um, Chris, when you're scared, tired, or overwhelmed, where do you turn? I turn to my wife. Um, I turn to my family. Sometimes you just need to turn to quiet. Um, and what I mean by that is disconnect yourself. As a leader, the worst time to make decisions are in most of those situations you just described. Mm -hmm. And God. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my faith is, I don't talk about it a lot, but it guides me every day. And um, the faith I have in the Lord and just in humanity in general, I would say, calms me down in most cases. Hmm. What brings you joy? Uh, Flathead Lake. Yeah. Which side? East Shore. There we go. Yeah, cherry blossoms rock. They're <laughs> blooming right now. Um, how about a bold prediction for the future? A bold prediction for the future. Um, oh, good Lord. Don't make bold predictions about the future. You can only get into trouble. So uh, how about, um, we're just going to finish with three quick word prompts. So I'm just going to say a word. You just give me whatever comes to mind. So that's usually the most interesting thing. It's immediately that comes to mind. Missoula. Fun. Montana. Beautiful. Leadership. Courageous. Chris Warden, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Warden for coming on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed today's show and want to support Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana.